everyone. Welcome back to Workplace Therapy. My name is Skylar Lewandowski, and I'm here with my co-host Scott Arietta to talk about workplace trauma. One of the reasons people go to therapy is to discuss and process a traumatic experience. And I'd like to introduce this concept of big T and little t traumas, because sometimes we don't think that something is a big deal unless it's really extreme, even though it's very much distressing. In clinical psychology, distinguishing these are used to diagnose PTSD. So big T traumas describe experiences that threaten your physical safety, like physical injury or sexual violence, while little t traumas, on the other hand, describe experiences that are still distressing, but don't immediately threaten your physical safety, like loss of certain relationships or verbal bullying. So in the workplace, I think very few of our experiences fall into this clinical definition of big T trauma. But there are a ton that fall into little t and maybe even micro t trauma category. For this session, we're going to open up these definitions a bit to adapt to the context. So we'll say that trauma is a negative experience that was life altering for you. And that label of traumatic might last a day or it might last 10 years as as we allow ourselves to understand how it's impacted us. So our intention is not to use the word traumatic to compare um, experiences to, that lead to PTSD, um, and especially not to joke about PTSD in a sarcastic or exaggerative way that's often used in conversation today. Um, we do think, however, it's important not to dismiss our experiences at work and labeling them as trauma can help us make sense of them and work towards healing. So with that, today we're going to share our own little T and micro T traumas that have stuck with us and shaped how we lead today. Scott, does a certain experience come to mind when I talk about these little and micro T traumas that are that aren't life threatening, but like have definitely impacted you in a very large way? <laughs> yeah, um, I love I love the idea of like little T and micro T traumas. I think that's um, such an apt phrase that you coined. Um, yeah, and one actually does really come to mind. I think about this moment a lot. Um, so there was a role that I took as the, um, head of customer experience operations for, um, for this really fast growing startup. And the way that this role was designed was I was the head of operations. And so I had most of the headcount in the department by numbers, right? So we had about 350 um, agents during the non-peak season, about 400 plus during the peak. And um, I had a peer and my peer was in charge of our enablement and support programs. So things like resource planning, quality training, uh, things like that. And so we had two very symbiotic roles that were very complementary where my department would be in charge of basically executing the service delivery and hers would be in charge of enabling us to deliver the best quality service that we potentially could. And, uh, and we both reported up to a VP um, at the time who oversaw our department as well as one other very large department, much larger than ours by a factor of maybe 10 times. And so that department took a lot of her time and attention relative to ours. And so myself and my peer were basically left to run most of the day-to-day -day operations by ourselves. And, um, and what made this relationship kind of contentious and friction-filled is we were just 
two very different individuals. I don't think either of us were malicious or just hard people to be around, but the combination of us together, we, we just weren't the kind of people that like naturally were like two peas in a pod. <laughs> like when, when we first met, there was some work required to get us to, uh, communicate and work effectively together. I think Did you also, have a lot of overlapping projects during this time too? Like when you first onboarded, did you get to work with her frequently? Yeah. I mean, like our, our worlds were completely intertwined. So for example, yeah. So for example, if we needed to implement, um, a new software system, right. Her, her team would be responsible for conducting the RFP, doing the comparative analysis of software vendors that we could potentially use. They would work with me and getting our input, but they would ultimately make the decision. And then they would scope the configuration and implementation project. And then at a certain point, my team would have to execute like the training so that the agents could use the software and then provide feedback on the system once it's been rolled out. And it would continue in a virtuous cycle like that, right? So um, so we were basically like two sides of the same coin and our worlds did intersect um, quite frequently. So, um, so that was the nature of our roles. And I do think one of the things that added to the dynamics that made this a little bit awkward was prior to me getting the job, um, she had essentially managed the entire department. So her taking a step back and just managing the much smaller but more strategic enablement team and me managing most of the department by headcount felt like a scope reduction for her. And um, and it wasn't due to any performance issues. She's extremely smart, capable um, in her field of specialty, which also happens to be my field of specialty, she could have easily done both jobs, but they were really looking for somebody to move locally and run the center um, in Austin. And she was based in San Francisco and didn't really want to move from that location. And, um, and I happened to be in Austin. And so they split the job into two jobs, basically. And like, that was the, that was the beginning of our working relationship. And, uh, and there was just like a lot of conflict and, and friction there, um, you know, a lot of it because um, a lot of it because like none of it, again, was, you know, malicious or intentional. But, you know, sometimes I would be in the office with my leaders talking about things. We would venture into talking about a project that she was overseeing and I wouldn't read her in right away on the outcomes of that conversation. And she would feel like, Hey, this is germane to what I'm doing. You should have told me about this earlier. And and I'm like, I agree with you that, you know, if I were in your seat, I'd want to have that information too. Um, it's just something that organically came up because I see my team every day in a live setting and I don't necessarily see you every day in a live setting. I see you once a week when we meet for our one-on-ones, right? Um, So there would be like arguments about like the timeliness of communications, arguments about like if I would express my feelings and she was not calibrated with my feelings, she would express concern that we weren't presenting a united front um, versus I think my opinion was it's okay for us to be two individuals with like different perspectives. Um, 
as long as we're unified on the strategies moving forward and we're not subverting each other. So it's like a difference in perspectives. But anyway, like these small micro T kind of like traumatic events would end up happening. And like, for me, the reason that they felt really traumatic was I was still a very young leader at this point in my career. And I had a very deep need to be liked and to be affirmed in that way. And, um, and I think she was like very forthcoming about her feedback and not so much encumbered by the idea of like being liked as being a primary motivator for her. Um, and so that really messed with me. Like it really made me feel ineffective at what I was doing. And especially since it wasn't malicious and I wasn't coming from a place of defensiveness or anger, I was just constantly not meeting her expectations. Right. And, um, and that really bothered me because that wasn't my heart. That wasn't how I wanted to show up for her, but also, I was not calibrated enough with her way of thinking to be able to anticipate what I should have done differently. And I remember it all came to a head one day when I had a skip level mentorship meeting with the COO of the company. And just to like set the stage here, the COO of this company was like a big deal COO, at least in my book, right? So before he became COO of our company, he was COO of one of the largest companies by revenue in the world. Um, so, so a real live COO, not just somebody who gave themselves a COO title, right? And, um, and he was just like such a strong, competent leader. I admired him from afar and he had agreed, he'd agreed to start doing mentorship meetings with me. And, um, and here I am in my first mentorship meeting with him and he's asking me how things are going. And he specifically asks me about how things are going with my peer and I start crying, <laughs> Like I couldn't hold it in anymore. Like I, I'm welling up with tears and I'm like, oh my God, I'm blowing this. I am blowing this meeting with the COO. And, um, and in between tears, I'm like, I am so sorry. I did not mean for this to get the better of me. Um, and I'm just in this shame spiral. And he just says very non-reactively and very calmly, he says, I'll never forget this. He said, never apologize for crying about your work because your tears are just evidence of how much you care. And, you know, we talked about trust and psychological safety um, a couple weeks back, Skylar. And um, man, I mean, like how, how safe did I feel in that moment? Right. Like I went from feeling completely ashamed and completely incompetent and overwhelmed with my emotions to just feeling so seen and so safe, you know, and for him to kind of turn that on its head um, just meant the world to me. And then he continued the conversation by telling me from his seat what he saw in me, how much he appreciated my leadership of the, you know, several hundred people that. I was um, put in charge of and, um, you know, how much he felt the impact of the initiatives and the, you know, the uh, projects that we were able to like implement and get over the line. And, um, and I still think to this day that the lesson for me was to become less attached to other people's perception of me. Like that was, that was the number one lesson that I learned in the context of that job was to have a strong enough sense of self 
where I wouldn't necessarily be crippled by other people having a negative opinion of me. Like the only thing that I can control is whether or not I'm executing to the best of my ability and with purity of intent. And if that's not good enough, then I have the opportunity to recover after the fact. If people give me feedback, I have the opportunity to listen empathetically and non-defensively and fix it reactively. But I can no longer hold myself to the expectation that I'm going to read everybody's minds and execute perfectly with no feedback and no errors whatsoever, right? And what he was really telling me at that point was, I don't expect you to navigate your job without conflict, you know? In fact, I would rather you have conflict that brings you to tears because it tells me how important your work is to you. And that gives me confidence that you're actually going to get the job done, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something that I still think about pretty regularly, actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm so almost like proud of you that you got to the point of tears too in the workplace, because I think there is a bigger conversation around just allowing emotions in the workplace in general. Like we aren't robots. (laughs) There are things that happen to us on a day-to-day basis that build up and, Sometimes we do need to express those emotions to people at work and definitely not in an unprofessional way, like a, you know, not throwing a tantrum in the middle of the open office floor plan, but like what you did going to somebody who mattered to you and saying, this is exactly how I'm feeling and showing those emotions. I think that we can all learn from that and saying that it's okay to do that. It's okay to cry. Sometimes it's okay to be angry. Sometimes it's okay to I don't know, feel really happy and to, to when something goes well and be able to express those emotions to, to like our managers and our bosses. Yeah. Were you afraid to, to like talk to him? It sounds like you were a little bit like intimidated to talk to him at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I still am. I mean, like he and I have had, (laughs) he and I have had a lot of really great conversations and I think like deep down, I know that um, he's just a very generous human being for whom mentorship and development means a lot. Like I, I know that it's one of the things that he enjoys the most about the status he's been able to obtain in life is his ability to pay it forward and to develop and mint new leaders. Um, but I still, to this day, like there, there are people you put on a pedestal and he's one of those. Right. And he's on this pedestal for me because of the fact that it's like, he has achieved everything that I hope to achieve in life, probably more than is realistic for me to achieve in life. Um, but not by being a cutthroat, born to win, alpha bro kind of persona, right? And not that those like personas are universally bad, but they just never resonated with me. You know, like I never felt like I would be that kind of person. But with him, he was kind and gentle when he needed to be. He was firm and pushed back when he needed to be. He would give you feedback that was critical and would cut you, not cut you to your core, but would make you feel at your core. Yeah, I really believe I could have done better there. 
But it was magic the way he delivered it because he'd deliver it in a way that made you feel supported and seen. And it's like, I know you can do this, right? I'm not shaming you for not having done it. I'm just telling you that you could have done better, right? And if you want to achieve X on your roadmap, you do need to do better, right? And it's just like the way that he approached that stuff was just masterful, right? And so it shows me that even in a world where very, like very autocratic, non-empathetic, kind of like jaded leadership is almost the norm, there are people who achieve the heights of success while being really authentic to a very human-centered way of leadership. And um, I really appreciate that about him. So yes, I did put him on a pedestal. I still do. <laughs> I haven't completely like, you know, worked that out of myself, but I'm working on it. How did your relationship change with your coworker after that point? That's a great question. So I don't, I think it's one of the biggest regrets of my time there that I don't think I brought that to a decisive close. Like, so what ended up happening was um, she ended up taking a new role leading a international uh, expansion, um, for our department. And then I ended up taking over the North American market, both the enablement teams and the operations teams. And so I ended up having the role that she originally had, which was over the whole thing. Um, yeah, so I, I would say it's like, you know, it's, it's not a contentious relationship to this day, but it's also not, um, it's not one that I think we fully kind of put a bow on. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think like releasing those emotions though helped you, I guess, like deal with the aggressions and like the many traumas that happened every day at work afterwards? Well, you know, one thing that I did do following that meeting um, that did help a little bit, but it didn't, like I said, it was not the, the silver bullet one shot thing that fixed everything. Um, there was a meeting that took place um, after, after I had that mentorship meeting where she had come to visit the operations center in Austin where I was located. And, um, and then I said, Hey, what are you doing after work? Can we get some coffee and, um, and sit down and chat? And she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And so there was a little coffee shop, at the bottom floor of the building that we worked um, at in downtown Austin. And, um, and we just had coffee and I said something to the effect of like, Hey, like I, um, I know that things like are contentious, like between us with regularity, like I want you to know that it is not my intention or desire to make you upset at all. I'm not here to subvert you. I don't see myself in competition with you. So I'm not trying to push you down to prop myself up. So like, I truly do not have any ulterior motives in the way that I am acting. And that being said, I have some blind spots. There's obviously things about the way that I communicate and execute on things where you would prefer that I do things differently. And I really think like the solution is for us to just keep short accounts because what I can promise you is that I am open to hearing what you need from me and times where I am not living up to that. And I'm open to like working on fixing that, you know, with your feedback and with your help. Um, 
and I, I'm not here to cause harm to like you or your career or to undermine anything that you've done. Right. And, um, and that conversation ended well. Right. Um, and I think like we had a couple of weeks of relative, you know, peace until, you know, the next time, like there was like a little bit of a, a locking horns between us. Um, and again, like these weren't like, nothing got super out of hand. We never like yelled at each other. We never like left the room in a fury. Like, I mean, it was just like, we just kind of annoyed each other is <laughs> really what it came down to. And, um, but to me at the time that felt huge and it like, it was just really hard for me to get over. Um, and it revealed something about myself that I needed to work on fixing. Yeah, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I don't know if it was amazing, but it's like, um, it was, it was a learning, it was definitely it was a learning. learning point in my life. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. speaking of, let's turn the tables a little bit. So Skylar, okay. do you have any, uh, little T or micro T traumas in the workplace, um, that you'd like to discuss? Yes. It's, it's funny as you were speaking about your conversation with a higher up person in the company, it came to mind one of the conversations I had. Um, and at the time I was pretty young in my career, my direct manager wasn't there at the time. So we were kind of in this in-between position where my team didn't have a direct manager. So we were kind of like skip leveling up to the next uh, VP level of the company. And myself and another coworker, we were kind of running the team and, you know, we were doing a lot, uh, and a little bit overwhelmed, but you know, we were trying to hold it all together. So that's kind of setting the stage of emotional <laughs> support at that time. So I was working with an engineer at the time that was in a different department and we were setting up an internal system that impacted marketing, customer support operations. And this was really critical project for us to get done. Sounds the like engineer it. was dismissive of most of our team's suggestions. And this was kind of an ongoing case coming from customer support. They didn't really respect a lot of our opinions. And it, it, sometimes they didn't even, you know, prepare for our meetings or they didn't show up to our meetings because they didn't really want to hear what we had to say. And this was, you know, hurtful to us because we knew the, the end impact to the customer that was going to happen if these changes were implemented. So we had had a conversation with the engineer at the time saying, hey, like, we really need you to come prepared to these meetings. We need to have a list of prioritization of like, you know, the elements that are being input to this internal system. And basically, they were very dismissive of the entire conversation and said, you just worry on your stuff. We'll worry about ours. Okay. <laughs> so I, I go to my skip level, uh, I think... They were CEO at the time, which is or CMO at the time, so similar to yours. And I, I actually came at the conversation very unemotionally, so I didn't cry. I came across like very bland, like this is these are the facts, these are what's happening. Uh, and I remember their feedback, and they said, "Oh, this reminds me exactly of what's happening to my teenage daughter right now in school." <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh no. I'm like, I'm shaking my head because I've worked with you long enough to know what you must have been feeling under the surface when he said that. But go ahead, please. Yeah. Let me <laughs> let me inside. Yeah, when he compared me to teenage drama, it made me feel very disrespected at the time. It made me feel 
undermined. Uh, it came across as a very condescending thing to say when I was having very real workplace issues with somebody who had, who we had already gone and talked to. So it wasn't like we were trying to go behind their back and say, like, yell at this person for us. We had already had the conversation with this person. And yeah. it wasn't like the work wasn't going to impact the CMO's team either. This was <laughs> this was going to be a bad situation for them too if something didn't resolve. So yeah, I think coming at it and saying this is exactly just like little drama thing that you can resolve on your own and it's not very important and it's not a big deal to the company completely crushed like all of my internal drive to make this better. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, like, I mean, that's an understandable feeling to have in reaction to a comment like that. And then I think the other thing that's germane to the conversation that your boss at the time did not create space for is this dynamic between engineering and customer experience, which is not uncommon, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, there are, in my experience in every organization, there are departments or functions that consider themselves the king or queen functions of the organization. And then everybody else are kind of like your lowly servants, like lying in support of that um, king or queen function, right? Or at least that's the attitude. And like, I actually think that that's one of the most, that's one of the leading indicators of toxicity being a possibility, right? Is this view that some of us are just more important and some of us have heavier weight to our opinions and our perspectives than others. I'm not saying that all departments contribute equally to the success of a given initiative, but I am saying that like we are all we are all professionals. We are all human beings with innate value and worth and that like our experience and our perspective should be honored. Right. And I think you guys trying to essentially like wrangle the cats and coordinate this cross-functional implementation and, you know, and advocate for your project. Like, I mean, like if I were your boss at the time, I would have been like, good for you for standing up to your stakeholders and telling them to come prepared, right? Because it's not okay for stakeholders to come to a meeting, not be prepared, waste everybody's time and then execute poorly because they weren't prepared to begin with, right? So from my perspective, like not only were you guys not, acting in a way that was trivial to the point of being comparable to high school drama, right? Quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like you guys were punching above your weight class, doing more than what was minimally necessary for your role, advocating for your program, being courageous and engaging stakeholders that are more senior than you and telling them what you need in order to make this a success. Right. It would have been so easy to turn that conversation into a conversation that filled your sails with wind, right, rather than deflate your motivational balloon, so to speak. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. And yeah, I wish <laughs> I wish I could have heard that from somebody like you at the time. I think it's interesting to compare our stories too, because I remember the conversation I showed up 
almost defensive of the point that I didn't want to come across as super junior because I knew that I was junior at the time. I was missing that manager level in between me and the CMO. So I was already coming into the conversation feeling a little like imposter syndrome, like what, <laughs> what do I really have to say to this person? And I tried to come across as unemotional as possible to not be compared to like a young, you know, person, young woman, just like being super emotional about things. And I think it's amazing that your boss reacted to emotions in a great way. And just contrasting that with me being completely unemotional and still being accused of like coming across as very dramatic and juvenile at the time. Yeah. Oh, what a great parallel. Um, well, I mean, not great from your experience <laughs> of the of the situation, but like that was a that was a piece I hadn't put together. I do think it's it is a cautionary example, though, Skylar, because I think like I don't think we tell leaders enough how important it is to sit with emotion. Like we're all emotional beings and somewhere along the line, like, I don't know where it culturally got ingrained into our ethos. Right. But it's like this idea of like our work selves needs to be a completely like unemotional like version of ourselves, like our professional selves are not humans, right? Like we want our professional selves to be more robotic because that's more predictable. I think, you know, and that's just quote unquote easier to deal with. I've actually never really agreed with that. Like I would much rather, and you know this about me, Skylar, because like you and I have had a lot of disagree, disagree and commit conversations heavy on the disagree side before we get to the commit side. Um, so we've, we've had some, we've had some good combos, but like, I actually think it's counterintuitive to expect people to be unemotional in the, in the workplace, because I would much rather have an off the cuff reaction that has tinges of frustration or tinges of sadness or just straight up tears, right? Like I would rather have conversations like that because it, that's information for me right? As a leader, like I get to understand the magnitude and the depth of the problem that's going on, right? And if you had just told me very clinically, I had a meeting with engineering, I told them to come more prepared. They said that they were disinclined to acquiesce to that request. And so now we're stuck, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe if I'm the CMO of this company, like I come in with a heavy hand, I talk to the head of engineering, we duke it out and I fix the problem on a one-time basis, right? But if you had come to me with a very transparent view of like how it is that you feel, that enables me to ask so many more questions, right? It enables me to serve you better and enables me to serve the organization better. Because if you had come to me with tears in your eyes and you had said like, Scott, I'm so frustrated, by this interaction that just went down, like with engineering, be like, tell me more about it. You know, it's like, well, you know, I told them to come to the table more prepared and just the amount of disrespect that I felt, you know, in the exchange that followed, just like really, really deeply impacted me, you know, and I'd be able to ask a whole bunch of questions. And maybe at the end of that conversation, I would, I would get to know a lot more about you. Right. And 
like what your triggers are, what your personal development goals are like. And I would get to know, quite frankly, the magnitude of this dynamic between engineering and CX is of concern because this isn't the first time we're going to need engineering support in order to address something cross-functionally. And if I can't deploy my lieutenants like Skylar in my place, then I'm going to be putting out fires personally and it's going to require brute force for me for every single time we need to get engineering buy-in. That's not sustainable. Like our teams need to learn to work together. So my conversation with the head of engineering is going to be completely different, right? My conversation with the head of engineering is not let's solve this one issue because engineer A was a jerk, right? It's like, no, we have a cross-functional stakeholder relationship that we need to fix at the department level. We cannot have our teams be constantly embroiled in conflict, you know? And so if there's ways we can serve you better, let me know. I'm letting you know that the way that you guys can serve us better is to do X, Y, and Z. And this is what I need from you here. Right. And like, that's how you solve things decisively versus just tricking yourself into thinking that the problems are shallower than they actually are. And then you never actually fix anything. You just continually put band-aids over things, you know, and that's, that's what it costs you when you don't have an environment of trust and psychological safety. And that's what it costs you when you're not willing to sit with the emotions of the people on your team, you know? Yeah. And I, I wish I had come to the conversation with more emotions, but with that first comment, like of your being a very juvenile, like dramatic person, it was like, okay, now I'm never going to have emotions. And like, I I think what resulted in, I I didn't share my emotions at work for a long time until I found a boss that I could, you know, have those emotional conversations with and not feel scared that they were going to compare me to a teenager again when I was trying to, you know, (laughs) do professional work. So. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, it goes both ways. I, I don't think that like, honestly, in the scenario that you described, I don't think, I don't think the onus was on you, right? I don't think it's like you should have been more, like I wouldn't give you the feedback, Skylar, you should have been more vulnerable and showed more emotions to give your boss more information. No, it's the bosses. It's your leader's responsibility to create an environment of trust and psychological safety and then to conduct themselves in a way that shows that being worthy of that trust and psychological safety like is important to them, right? Like, and I think like that's, that's something that a lot of people don't get, right? It's like when people give you feedback, I think a very par for the course reaction is to be defensive or to defend or to justify or to provide rationalization for why, you know, that discomfort is occurring to you that you're surfacing in the form of feedback, right? Because that feedback makes people feel powerless or misunderstood or misjudged. And they have a very them-centric experience to receiving feedback. Versus if you have an other-centric experience to receiving feedback, the way that that feels is, wow, I'm honored that you've trusted me with this level of vulnerability. I'm honored to know that you took a risk giving me this feedback 
And you are now like, it's now incumbent upon me to make you feel like that wasn't a bad decision. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I don't think many people think about that because they really don't think feedback is a gift. They think feedback's an attack, (laughs) you know? And like, and I think it comes down from their trauma, honestly, because they've been taught that flawlessness in a professional environment is the standard. They've been taught that they can't take swings and make mistakes. They have not come up in a trusting and psychologically safe environment. And because of that, they feel like they are under attack when one of their directs is emotional or crying or has a problem that seems too hard for them to solve, <laughs> right? And, um, and it prevents them from being as effective as they can be as leaders. Well, I think that's a great way to say thank you for sitting with me and working through these emotions with me because I don't think I've talked about this story in maybe since this happened. So very, very long time ago, but thank you for letting me express those emotions. And I think these, you know, micro and little T traumas are, they do shape us and how we come across in our leadership many years to come. And thank you for sharing your story and how it's impacted you and, you know, how that you've, you've grown from that experience. And for the listeners, I hope that this has provided some therapeutic, uh, you know, resolutions for yourself. And we'd love to hear your stories about, uh, you know, emotions within the workplace. If you had a good experience or a bad experience with them, we would love to hear those. So thank you for listening to Workplace Therapy and we will see you next time. 